Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Today we read the closing chapter of Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda's book on Islamic manners the manner of attending weddings. But before we read, I was just thinking earlier today how quickly this series passed by. It seems like this is a class that we just started. But um, today after Alhamdulillah, I'm not sure of the exact number of classes we've held, we are uh, preparing to complete the book. So inshallah, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gives us barakah and tawfiq to um, to offer the correct adab to these gatherings of knowledge and allows us to continue to benefit from the writings and teachings of the Shaykh. Yes, go ahead. The manner of attending weddings. When you are invited, attend with the intention that you are attending a blessed and good invitation one which is delightful and approved in the Sharia. Rasulullah has also commanded us to attend such occasions. Dress appropriately within the confines of Sharia. For such pleasant gatherings, the Sahaba used to dress properly when they visited each other. When initiating or sharing in a discussion, make sure your conversation fits the happy occasion. Don't discuss such things which will depress those present or any other distasteful subject matter. A believer should be wise and considerable. So this first thing that he mentions that when you are invited, attend with the intention that you are attending a blessed and good invitation. This applies to all gatherings. That when you are going to a gathering, take honor, take joy. Someone has made some sacrifice 
in preparing this dinner, this event for your attendance. The bare minimum that we can do is be happy, be excited. I know it's common for people to say like, oh, I gotta go to a wedding event. And they're almost dragging their feet. And trust me, I get it. Because it gets a little overwhelming going from one social gathering to the next social gathering. But understand that the person who is inviting you, they're doing their best to host you. The bare minimum you can do is be excited, right? Make dua for them. Dress for the occasion. Therefore, he says that dress appropriately within the confines of sharia. Everyone wants to dress nice when they're in a public gathering, but it's easy to dress in a way that is no longer appropriate in sharia, in a way that you are exposing your body or in a way that your body and your clothes are one, where it's clinging and it's as if you're exposing your body. So dress appropriately, modestly. You can dress modestly and elegantly at the same time. Weddings are the same as any gathering. That just as you would be mindful of gender interaction, just as you would be mindful of not wasting time, not backbiting, just as you would be mindful of um, not wasting money, not serving alcohol, not dancing and goofing around, the same applies to weddings. The issue is that in the world that we live in, people think of weddings as your one free pass. You guys understand? So they think all the haram you want to do, ikrat mikardana. All the haram that you have built up in your body, one night, knock yourself out. No sharia, no khuda, no Islam, no Quran. Enjoy a wedding like that. What a beautiful way to start a relationship. Violate Allah full blown. And then at the end, ask Allah for barakah. Ah, the hypocrisy in the insan. You disobey your Lord with courage, yet you try to show your love for Allah. This is something unique. We haven't seen this before. This is something that we haven't seen before. One of my teachers used to say that after reading the riwayah of Rasulullah the nikah with the most barakah is the one with the least expenses. It has become clear to me, our teacher said, that there is every temptation at the time of a nikah to push the boundaries and do something that would displease Allah. And in a moment like that, it takes true taqwa and resolve to say no to all those temptations and treat this gathering like any other gathering and learn to find joy and happiness within the commands of Allah. That is a symbol of true taqwa. And it's that taqwa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless your marriage because of for as long as you're together. We believe as Muslims that marriages are difficult. They're beautiful, they're amazing, but they have challenges. Earlier today, I was speaking to an individual, a little senior, who was married and got married again, and then again, and then again, 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 again. So this person was going back to their, one of their marriages, and I said to the person that, look, Habibi, marriages are difficult. You can't walk out every time you have a tough day. You can't just walk away. You're going back to your spouse, you need to think to yourself that this marriage is going to be tough and we're going to have a hard time and it's not going to be easy and 
I'm going to have to do sabr and there are going to be all sorts of issues that are going to come up. You can't bail every time there's a problem. But ultimately, from a spiritual perspective, the glue that is required for a successful marriage is what we recognize in Islam as barakah. Therefore, Rasulullah made dua for barakah when he would initiate a nikah, when he would conduct a nikah. The dua is written ahead. This was the dua of Rasulullah This is the dua that we should read. I go to a lot of weddings and people go around saying mabruk. Yeah, mabruk, I know it's a common greeting in Arabi, in Amiya, so alhamdulillah. In fusha, mabruk means a seated camel. Baraka in Arabi means for a camel to sit down. So you say baraka al-jamal. Baraka al-jamal means a camel sat down. Mabruk means what? A camel that's seated. Barakallahu lak wa baraka alayk wa jama'a baynakuma fi khayr. Right, the dua taught to us by Rasulullah sallallahu such a beautiful dua, such an amazing dua taught by Rasulullah sallallahu So as you go through these celebrations and as you go through maybe your day, uh, you should be thoughtful and mindful that there is a trade-off occurring in this moment. That for every, every step that you take that displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're trading off a level of barakah. It's your choice. It's your marriage. But you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Yes, it's true that your friends may say that it wasn't as exciting as a, of a wedding as the others had, and maybe it lacked in some pizzazz, and maybe you know, it didn't have the same vibe that other weddings have, but the, the reality is that the people who talk today, tomorrow they'll forget anyway. What remains? What remains? Right? ma'indakum yanfadu wa ma'indallahi ba'ad. What you have with you today, yanfad, it'll cease to exist. And everything that is with Allah and all of your good deeds and your moments of taqwa, they will be with Allah forever. As Allah says, Allah And good deeds, those that remain, those that will remain, good deeds that you did. It's easy to crumble into social pressure. It's hard for people to stand up and say, I won't do this, knowing that all the challenges that will lie ahead of you from society, from family, maybe even disappointment with yourself. But it's, um, it's something that we should definitely be mindful of and be considerate of. So here he says, dress appropriately within the confines of Sharia. For such pleasant gatherings, the Sahaba used to dress properly when they visited each other. So this is a general statement that when the Sahaba would visit each other, they would dress something special, put on something unique, nice. He's connecting us back to a point that he started the book off with. In the earlier part of the book, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ta'ala said that a part of the elegance of the believer is that they dress appropriately for each gathering. You don't wear your masjid gear when you're playing basketball, and you don't wear your basketball gear when you're in the masjid. Both are inappropriate. There's a time for the thobe, there's a time for the shorts, right? Um, each, each, each place has its own attire. 
When you go to a wedding, there's a different attire there. When you go to work, there's a different attire there. So dress appropriately for your gatherings. So he says that when you, the next point that he mentions, which is also quite eloquent, uh, he says that when you attend a gathering and you are asked to speak, whether it's with a few people on your table or in the situation that you're actually talking from the podium, it's a moment of happiness and joy. Don't talk about sad things. Does that make sense? You have to be mindful. Um, you're, you get up on the, on, on, the, on, the, on the mic and you talk about your diseases. Everyone's thinking, oh my God, what a grim moment. We came here to celebrate this nikah. You hear people get up and they're talking about, they're giving advice to the soon-to-be bride and groom or the newly wedded, wedded bride and groom and they're talking about divorce in their premarital talk. I've seen it. We've all seen it, okay? So let's, let's keep it real. And you're thinking, yeah, is there no wisdom that you're talking about these things in front of everyone? Today, everyone has gathered for a day of celebration. They're excited to see each other. They're here to give their greetings to the bride and the groom. They brought along gifts with them. And here you're talking about divorce in front of everyone. Here you're talking about disease and illness and everything has a place and time. Everything has a place and time. Don't take your passion and dump it on people in their moments of happiness and joy. There was a sahabi of Rasulullah by the name of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari He would go around to the gatherings in Medina Munawwara where people were having late night dinners and enjoying themselves and he would say to them that this is all israf, it's all a waste of money and Allah will punish you on the day of judgment. So people would freak out, Man, punishment of Allah, parties off, everyone go home. So they'd all freak out. Someone complained to Uthman bin Affan that this guy, he comes to every one of our parties and right when we're getting ready to enjoy it, he comes in and says, Ittaqullah. Have fear of Allah. Be conscious of Allah. And everyone runs off. So Uthman an, he called Abu Dhar al-Ghifari and he said to him, you need to stop doing this. It's not appropriate. So Abu Dhar al-Ghifari said, I heard from Rasulullah that if a person has in their possession food more than their basic needs, then it is Israf. Israf means excessive. And he said, Allah said in the Quran, Allah does not like those who are excessive. In another place, Allah says, Those who spend excessively, they are the brothers of shaitan, the friends of shaitan, the people of shaitan. And Shaitan was very ungrateful to his Lord. Abu Dhar al-Zifari said to Uthman that I heard Nabi sallallahu saying that excessive wealth was, uh, was israf and it's haram so I will tell people. Uthman said, well that's a personal policy. They give zakat in their wealth. What they're doing is halal. You can't go and stop gatherings like this. So Abu Dhar al-Ghifari said, if I will stay in Medina, then I will continue doing what I'm doing, what I'm doing otherwise I will leave. And Uthman said, that is your choice. And Abu Dhar al-Ghifari then left Medina Manawara. He couldn't stay in Medina Manawara any longer. And this is a sad and yet interesting story because there were personalities and this person was very strong in his position. He really believed in it passionately. But Uthman, on the other hand, was looking out, looking out for the ummah. 
that one person's passion shouldn't take away the joy of the people. These people are doing halal, they're, they're, they're not disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't push it. Therefore, there is this difference between the ulama acknowledge a difference between what we call taqwa and fatwa. Fatwa is the legal ruling, taqwa is the personal position that you adopt. One of our teachers, uh, his name was Sheikh Tahir Wadi. We used to call him Sufisa, which means very noble, pious man. He was French from the Reunion Islands. Very humble man, very humble man. I had the honor of studying fiqh with him, hadith with him in many subjects. When he was a student in madrasa, when he was a student, he studied in the same madrasa, by the way, where I studied. He was a senior man when I studied with a big white beard. But he studied there as a child as well for himself. The reason why he got the title Sufi Sahib is because once when he was a student in the madrasa, there was a drought. So there was no rain. And the madrasa got all of their water from a local nearby well. Even till now, they had a well that all the water used to come from. So when the dry, rain dried up, the well dried up, and there was no water. So the students, they went to Sheikh Yusuf rahimahullah ta'ala, our teacher who was the principal of the madrasa. And they said the well has dried up. We wanted to do salatul istisqa. We wanted to gather together and make dua for istisqa. For istisqa is a supplication that a person makes specifically to seek water from Allah. So Sheikh Yusuf rahimahullah ta'ala said that among you there is a student, Tahir, Tahir Wadi. Ask him to lead the congregation. So they went to um, Sheikh Sufi Tahir Saab and they said to him, at that time he was a young man, maybe a teenager. They said, Sheikh Yusuf has said that you should be the one that leads the congregation. So he was a very humble person. He went forward and he led it. And by the blessing and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it rained and the well filled up. So after that, his name stuck. They would call him Sufi Saab, Sufi Tahir Wadi. He would come to Madrasa. He was a man of great ittiba' sunnah Always followed the sunnah very firmly about everything. Just the way he talked, the way he walked. His clothes were all personally tailored. You couldn't buy the clothes that he wore in a store because he would read the riwayat and try to recreate what he read. He would go to the tailor and said, let's try this. And so he had very unique garments that you wouldn't find in stores otherwise. Even when he would teach hadith, he would always sit in tashahud position. And even though he was very old, it was very well known that when he would finish teaching his period, he would stand up and fall down every time. When we were students, we knew it. Because he would sit there like that for an hour, and then when he would stand up, his feet would be numb. So he would stumble, and he would quickly grab the wall. So as soon as his period would finish, the students, because it was a big, the class was a big U, big U shape. So the students from both sides, before the sheikh would stand up, would rush to the front of the gathering and put their arm out. So when he would stand up, he would be holding his hadith book and then he would lean against them, stand there, lift one leg, move it around, put that down, pick the other leg up, move it around. I know it sounds like a hokey pokey, but it's not. This is a muhadith, have some respect. I remember asking him once, I said, Sheikh, why don't you just sit cross-legged like the other teachers? He said that it is said regarding, because he used to teach his multi-imam malik. He said, it is said regarding Imam Malik that when he taught his own hadith collection or taught any hadith gathering, he always sat in the shahid position. Allah has given me the honor to teach his text. I wish to follow the footsteps of the author. One time I asked him again, I said, Sheikh, why don't you sit, just sit cross-legged? 
He said, my heart doesn't agree to sit cross-legged while hadith is being shared. I kept thinking how Jibreel even sat in the child position in front of the Prophet for his hadith. He came to one hadith gathering of Rasulullah and he sat, he sat in the shahid position. Hadith of Jibreel for those of you who know. That he put his knees to the knees of Nabi and his hands on his thighs. So he was one of those people, very calm, very easygoing, very solution oriented. I remember when I graduated and came back to America, there was a very deep divorce case that I received. I'm not sure if I should share. No, right? Fusena saying don't. I think that's Fusena. It might be Asana. I don't know. One of them is saying no. So I'll listen to them. There was a very ajib um, divorce case that I received. And the fit of it was very clear. But the problem was the answer, as clear as it was, if I gave that fatwa, the outcome would have been devastating. Do you guys understand? There was a situation. The answer was extremely clear. But if I gave that answer, the outcome would have been devastating. I was very puzzled. And I didn't want to ask anyone for advice that I didn't really trust. So I called Sheikh Tahir. Sheikh Tahir Wadi, I called him. And I said, Sufi Sahab, because he didn't remember his students. He was so old and he had so many of them. I said, I'm one of your students from America, Hussein Kamani. And so I said to him that there's a situation I'm in. This is a situation, what do I do? I was expecting him to say, follow the fiqh and let the outcome be what it is. But his wisdom was such, he said, no compromise on your fiqh, take the opinion of another madhab and save that person's iman. And as a junior student, that wisdom of his really, uh, it rung in my ears that subhanAllah, look at this person's breadth and knowledge and look how wise he is that, you know, priorities in the deen when we give our legal rulings. I mean, since we're sharing stories about him, I might as well continue, right? One or two more? Every year at Hajj, I usually bump into him. And the amazing thing about him is that he has no entourage. He doesn't walk with a group of students or anything. He just walks alone. One time we were in Medina Munawwar after Fajr Salah, and there were a group of people that were sitting with me. They had, we had gone with Qalam Hajj, so they were like, 40, 50 guys, we're all praying Fajr together. So I pointed at one person and I said to them that this man, in my opinion, is a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, who is he? He was praying salah alone. I said, that's the teacher that I studied Mu'tai Imam Malik with. He's always alone. There he is, just in the corner of the masjid, praying his salah and masjid al-Nabwi. Um, but in my opinion, I'm not sure if I met someone who understands fiqh and hadith like that, like that man does. He was a very soft and humble person. He used to drive this very old, rusty car. In England, they call it a banger. Is that right, Sana? Banga. Sorry. <laughs> In British accent. I'm going to say the English pronunciation. The American pronunciation. Banger. <laughs> so he used to drive one of those cars. It'd make noise. And in Urdu, we call it a putt putt. You understand, Sarah? Part-part means like when it drives, it makes noise. It just makes so much noise. So he used to drive one of those cars. One day he didn't come to the madrasa in his own car. Someone gave him a ride. 
one of the people living, he was in, he used to live in Blackburn, which is nearby. So someone, one of the students that was coming from there gave him a ride. On the way back, he didn't have a ride. So when he was leaving the madrasa, their car pulled up to pick him up and it was this fancy shamansi BMW. So Sufi Tahir didn't even laugh much. He's, when he's, he was a man of great haya. Even when he would laugh, he'd cover his mouth and kind of like secretly laugh. So he had this car, his hadith book in his hand, he was walking to the car. So one of the students whispered to him, Sheikh Saab, bade maze ho Like, Sheikh Saab, look at you, you're driving this BMW, look at you. Getting picked up in a fancy car. So he giggled and laughed a little. But he turned around quickly and he said the statement, which I think is why I shared the whole last 10 minutes of whatever we talked about. For this one statement of his. He said, Dekho bhaiya, bete ki gaadi hai. Khud ke liye taqwa auro ke liye fatwa. He said, this car belongs to my son. It's not mine. He said, my zuhud and my taqwa is for myself. I don't impose it on my kids. They can do as they wish. As long as it's legal and it's not haram, they can do whatever they want to. But as far as this standard that I live by, the simplicity that I live by, you know, the few words that I live by, this is for khud ke It's for myself. For other people, it's a fatwa. Then he looked at us and then, because we made a joke at him, right? And he made a point that even though uh, you guys can make jokes because you're younger, I'm not that old. And he made a joke back at us. He said, And you people, you go with the easiest route yourself. And for other people, what's the ruling? The most hard situation you throw it on them. The hardest ruling for other people, for yourself, you give uh, ease. One year. Today's one of those days, guys. Stories are coming to my mind. Mm-hmm. One year, I was, we had performed Hajj and I was in Makkah Mukarram. It was before Maghrib Salah. And that was the year that my mother had performed Hajj. Rahimahullah. So we were on top of the roof. It was Maghrib time was approaching. Um, and I said to my mother that I just finished Hajj, Maghrib's here. I believe it was a Friday too. I said, Mama, I want to sit down. And I was planning to write a maqala, a book. Not a book, but a small little brief research paper for myself, not for anyone. So I made Nia before I came to Hajj that I would write the opening lines in the haram. So um, before Maghrib, I'm going to sit down and write them. Make dua to Allah that he gives me tawfiq to finish. So I sat down and I started writing it. I was just writing my thoughts and just kind of compiling some uh, some notes. And then this person came and sat next to me. And with him were three or four, four, five, six, I don't know, ten other people. They were all sitting with him. So he peeked over what I was doing. And he said, you're writing. What's the subject? So then I said, it's a, it's a brief maqala that I'm putting together regarding some hadith issues that have been on my mind. So he then started giving du'as and he gave du'as and he gave du'as and gave du'as. I was really humbled. And then he asked me who I was and we went back and forth. And this was Sheikh Sufi Tahir's brother, who was also a scholar and, uh, and a scholar of hadith as well. And I thought to myself, the father of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'd never seen this man before in my life, but got his du'as and his barakah in the haram. So alhamdulillah, here he says, that when you are in these gatherings, don't cause 
inconvenience to other people by being insensitive. Okay? Don't cause inconvenience to other people. I was sharing the story of Abu al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. Uthman radiallahu anhu didn't accept it because he understood what he was doing was a higher standard. But for the people, there had to be ease. Okay? When you're in a gathering, when you're with people, don't flex your taqwa. Loosen up a little bit. Take it a little easy. Accommodate people. But here, the point that he says as we move forward, a believer should be wise and considerable. Yes, go ahead. It is recommended that you congratulate the bride and the groom by reciting the dua of Rasulullah Barakallahu lak wa barak alayka wa jama'a fi khayr. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and bless your counterpart and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tie your union with virtue. Do not use the commonly used phrase with comfort and children, because this was the phrase used by the people of ignorance, jahiliyyah. Rasulullah has prohibited it, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has replaced it with the prayer of Rasulullah as we mentioned. Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha said, when Rasulullah married me, my mother led me into the house where the women of the Ansar were seated. They congratulated me by saying, May you have all the good, all the blessings, and the best of luck. Islam permits women to celebrate a wedding by singing tasteful songs accompanied by the beating of the duf. Such poems and songs should not promote lust, lewd desires, and sin. Instead, they should sing delightful and decent songs to express their happiness and joy with the married. Sayyidah Aisha said, A bride was led to her Ansari husband. Rasulullah said, O oh Aisha, do you not have any items of entertainment? The Ansar love to be entertained. Rasulullah was referring to the singing and the beating of the dhuf. So there is um, a haram way to do things and then there is a halal way to do things. The Prophet teaches us the halal way to do things. Yes. Hafid ibn Hajar in his book Fatuh al-Bari has stated that in one narration of Tabarani, Sayyidah Aisha anha recalled that the Prophet asked, Why did you not send with her the bride, a girl, to sing with the duf? I inquired, What should she sing? He answered, We are visiting you, we are visiting you. The famous lines of poetry. Yes. If you greet us, we will greet you. For your gold, bright and red, brought the bride to your valley. And it is your brown and tan wheat that made your virgins charming. Songs sung at weddings should have a delightful and decent meaning as this. Songs of lust, passion, and immorality are strictly prohibited. So this is he. This is his last point. That when it comes to engagements or entertainment that happened on that night, be mindful, be uh, mature, be wise, keep it halal. That's it. A little creativity and you can have a good night. People can really enjoy themselves. Um, avoid the haram. Social gatherings are tricky because it's where people get together and then when people get together, 
uh, in particular, if the vibe isn't right and if the tone isn't correct, they become quick to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, that's the end of uh, the, major, the chapters. Here, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu offers a brief conclusion as he closes off. Conclusion. This is a collection of Islamic manners that were part of the etiquette of your pious Muslim predecessors. I presented them to you in a clear and understandable way so that you inculate them and practice upon them. The best place to follow these manners is at home and the homes of your brothers. Do not overlook these etiquettes when dealing with your family and your Muslim brethren, assuming that there is no need for it. Your immediate family and friends are the most deserving of your good conduct and manners. In this regard, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim rahimahumullah ta'ala have reported that a man asked Rasulullah O Prophet of Allah, who deserves my best behavior? The Prophet answered, your mother, your mother, your mother, then your father, then the closer, and then the closer among your relatives. Beloved reader, do not overlook these manners when interacting with the appropriate people and act properly and amicably with others. If you do not behave properly, you degrade yourself, abuse the duty that you are entrusted with, and abandon the guidance of Rasulullah Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist you in attaining his pleasure and the manners of his religion. And it is he who protects the pious. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect you, your relatives, and your loved ones. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help you obey his orders. Remain Amen. obedient to him Amen. and follow the example of his Prophet May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you his love, Amen. grace, and his generosity. May peace and salutations be upon our Prophet his family and his companions All praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of the universe. Ameen. This was written in hopes of receiving your prayers, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghazali. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala elevate the Shaykh's maqam and reward him um, immensely, without any boundaries. May joy go to his grave. May nur enter his grave. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala send special reward to him in this moment on behalf of the attendees that are in this gathering that have gathered and benefited from his words. A great sign of sincerity that today we are continuing to benefit from his teachings even though after, even though he's left this dunya. Only Allah knows if anyone will even know of our existence when we leave the dunya. And here we are benefiting from them. He was a person who was very particular, utilized his time very carefully, dressed appropriately, never hurt anyone with his words or his uh, his, his body physically, his son, Sheikh Salman, says this about him. But my father never hurt anyone. My father was very careful and meticulous not to waste any time. So many of his books were written in Safar while traveling because he did not want the time spent traveling in transit to be wasted. So when he would travel, he would immediately pull his pen out and start compiling his words and start compiling his notes. 
he wrote not in one subject, but in many subjects. And his words are a source of inspiration, guidance, and knowledge for students of knowledge across the world. Alhamdulillah, today we finished off his book, uh, Min Adab al-Islam. There's some sorrow that we just finished off one class, but there's some joy as well that now we have a chance to enter into our next class. And the next class that we'll be studying, Alhamdulillah, is another book by Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda, Rahimahullah. And it's an amazing subject, one that I'm really excited about reading, inshallah. Its benefit is not only to a particular type of person or someone in a particular field, the nafa'av is am, the benefit is am. And this is why we chose this book. The, the, the book is titled, Ar-Rasul Al-Mu'allim. The Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the teacher. Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda compiles north of 130 narrations that examine what kind of educator and teacher Rasulullah was. Now, many of you in your mind are probably thinking, This is oaths. I'm not a teacher. Everyone is in some position of mentorship and offers some guidance to another. So, this will be an opportunity for us to learn, inshallah, and to um, benefit from this. If Allah wills, next week we'll start this class. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.